Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. A reminder that you can subscribe to the show by clicking on the subscribe by email button on the left-hand side of your screen. And then every time I upload a new show, you will be notified in your inbox. And that is the only email you'll receive. We continue in today's programme with our predictions for 2011. And it's my pleasure and my privilege to welcome back to the show James Turk. James was, I think, my second ever guest on this show. And James, as you all know, uh, is the president and founder of Gold Money, which is a, a means to store uh, gold and silver cheaply uh, online. James, welcome back to the show. Um, how are you doing? Good, Dominic. Thanks uh, for inviting me back. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. <laughs> the, the pleasure is all mine. Now, you recently posted an article, um, The Outlook for 2011, and we're going to discuss uh, some of the um, issues that, uh, that, that you raise in that article. And interestingly, one of the things that you said uh, is that the low for gold we would see very early in the year and uh, yesterday we had a big sell-off in gold it sold off some forty dollars um do you think we're going to see the low around now uh yeah that's the way i see it developing you know we had a big move last year particularly toward the end of the year so it's normal to expect some kind of correction and that's why i was thinking that we'll see the low for the year in january or even early january i mean we could be forming the low right now the point is, is that, you know, we've been in a major bull market for gold for uh, over 10 years, and it's being driven by the same thing. It's being driven by the central bank and government policies, which are debasing the purchasing power of national currencies. And I see nothing in any kind of government action that's actually changing those policies. If anything, it's getting worse as they do the serial bailouts of various governments and, and various banks around the world. All of these things debase the currency. Quantitative easing debases the currency. So the factors that have been driving gold higher all decade long are still there. And when you get these dips, every time over the past 10 years, they've just been a good buying opportunity. And I expect that the dip that we're now seeing is by the time you know this, we look back a year from now, this will be another yet good buying opportunity. So my view has been that we're going to see the low for gold early in the year, probably January or early January. And we're just going to repeat what we saw last year, steady accumulation pretty much throughout the year. Um, if we look back at the at the noughties, uh, we kind of saw a big boom uh, into 2000. Uh, with the, and then we had a big bust, dot-com bust. And then we had another boom from about 2003 to 2007. Then we had another bust uh, in 2008, 2009. And we're now enjoying another boom are we going to get another bust? And, and if so, how will that affect gold? Well, I think we have to step back a little bit further from the forest in order to really you know, see the trees. 
And in you know the way I look at it is let's look at it in terms of decades, not in terms of years, because that really will give us a true picture as to where we are today. And the way to look at it is in the twenties we had a, a boom, thirties we had a bust, fifties and sixties we had a boom, the seven seventies we had a bust, the eighties and nineties we had a boom, ending in two thousand. And we've been in an ongoing bust since two thousand. We've had little blips up, you know, here and here and there. But it's been basically a downtrend since 2000 uh, in terms of you know, financial problems, monetary problems, banking problems, sovereign debt crises. I mean, you name it. Um, and we, I think we still have another three to five years to go before this bust is over. There are too many problems that have to be resolved. What a bust does is it enables borrowers and banks to bring their balance sheets back to prudent levels. Uh, during the boom, you know, banks lend too much and borrowers borrow too much. And ultimately, a lot of that money goes into bad loans, like, you know, homes in Stockton, California, or, you know, southern Spain, or, you know, other crazy things that happened during the, during the boom. Well, the bust means that all of those bad loans have to be reconciled, either repaid or, or reneged upon, and bringing balance sheets back to prudent levels, and that's what we're in the process of. It's never a straight line, just like it wasn't a straight line on the way up. It's not a straight line on the way down. But, you know, we're still in the bust and we have a long way to go. When I looked at uh, the silver chart, $30 I saw as a, as a big kind of line in the sand. It was the level that silver bounced to after it collapsed in 1980. But silver seems to have kind of scraped its way through it. What, what do you think about, although it's fallen back yesterday, what do you think about silver now? Yeah, uh, the big line in the sand, the way I see it, is $50 an ounce, which is what I'm expecting to be reached sometime in the first quarter or at least the first half of uh, 2011, but probably the first quarter of 2011. Uh, and then you might go sideways for a while. But, you know, we're in a major bull market. Um, you know, bull markets last for many years. Uh, only now is silver starting to get, you know, some increasing attention. Uh, we're still far from where I think silver's upside potential is. You know, every bull market has three stages. You have uh, the first stage, which is apathy, apathy and neglect. Nobody's paying attention. The second stage, people become increasingly aware of it because the price continues rising. And then in the third stage, you get the speculative stage where, uh, you know, everybody's jumping in feet first without thinking about, you know, what they're actually doing. Well, gold was in the first stage until it went above $1,000 an ounce. And now it's getting increasing attention. But silver is still, uh, and therefore gold is in the second stage of its bull market. But silver is still in its first stage of its bull market. And I think it's going to stay in the first stage until it gets over $50 an ounce, um, which will probably happen sometime this year. And then you, know, then you really start seeing um, the second stage movement, which is generally a long, consistent, you know, upward trend in prices with, you know, very few corrections in between. What would make you turn negative on gold and silver? Well, you know, the question is not really what the gold and silver price are, but, you know, what their relative value is. And the way I look at gold is how much gold there is relative to how much paper money there is out there. And historically, it's very, very low. You know, it's just over basically two and a half percent compared to historical norms uh, during the classical gold standard when it was 40%. So, you know, the, at this moment in time, you know, gold is very, very good value. The price is going up simply because of the debasement that's being engineered by governments and central banks around the world. 
And people are starting to recognize also, uh, aside from the fact that gold preserves purchasing power, its usefulness in the sense that it's a tangible asset and it doesn't have counterparty risk. It's not based on anyone's promise. It's the only money that actually you know, can maintain liquidity without being based on any kind of a promise. So, you know, what would turn me bearish? Um, I really, you know, a massive drop in the world population, meaning you know, less people to buy gold, is probably about the only thing. Because ultimately, I think that gold is so low, uh, so relatively undervalued here, over the next several years, it, its value is going to become increasingly recognized, and therefore its price is going to go up. Uh, it's just cheap on a historical basis. When it becomes overvalued on a historical basis, uh, let's say the money supply shrinks by eighty uh, percent. Uh, you know, then you know gold, you know, might go down in um, in price. But again, it's not the price so much; it's the relative valuation that's important. And right now, gold is still cheap and relatively undervalued. I like that the money supply shrinks by eighty <laughs> percent. That's going to happen. Well, then that's not going to happen anytime. Uh, at all, I don't think, because quantitative easing is doing exactly the opposite. I mean, look what's happened in the U.S. over the past couple of years. In about three years, the U.S. government is at is, its uh, national debt has gone from about nine trillion dollars to fourteen trillion dollars, and a lot of that has been turned into uh, currency by the central bank. That's, in my way of looking at it, the, the you know a clear sign that we're heading toward hyperinflation. Another clear sign. Uh, of hyperinflation is the rise in commodity prices. And it's not just some commodities, but it's all commodities across the board. And another thing that's happening recently, particularly in the States again, is even though the Federal Reserve is in there buying U.S. government paper, interest rates on long-term government paper are rising. Uh, and that's, again, another precursor that you know we're on the road to hyperinflation. And I think 2011 is the year in which people are going to become increasingly aware that, yes, the dollar is being hyperinflated and is going to collapse for that reason. How long can central banks carry on doing what they've been doing for? Um, I ask this because, you know, a lot of people have been, who've seen what they're doing, they've identified it and identified the problems that it's going to cause. But so far, they, they kind of got away with it. Well, they have. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to cash flow. And let's think about what's happening now. If interest rates were at a normal level, you know, 6% or 8%, you know, if you deposited money in the bank and you could earn, you know, 7% on your money, you know, those are more normal levels relative to, you know, the rates of inflation that we're seeing uh, and rising commodity prices that we're seeing. But the U.S. government can't afford anything uh, like that in terms of paying interest. Look, Look at it this way, Dominic. You've got $14 trillion of debt. If interest rates rise just 1%, that's $140 billion. That's 5% of annual federal government revenue. The reason why they're pursuing a zero interest rate policy is because governments around the world are so overleveraged, they can't afford to pay a high level of interest. So what they're ultimately doing is slowly debasing the purchasing power of currencies with the consequence that gold and silver are in uptrends, but it's, it's, it's a relatively slow uptrend although it's starting to pick up momentum, as we saw last year. You know, gold was up 30%, and silver was up uh, almost 90% against the U.S. dollar uh, just in one year. Um, you know, these trends, I think, are going to accelerate as the hyperinflationary 
uh, outlook for the dollar and pretty much all currencies around the world is going to become increasingly apparent in 2011. What about the fact that hyperinflation is often a psychological event as well as an actual one in the sense that people come to a realization and rush out and spend their money? Now, at the moment, despite the inflationary pressures and the inflationary policies of central banks, many people are attempting to pay down debt, they're hoarding cash, they're saving even with these low interest rates. Um, And credit is to a certain extent shrinking. What about these pressures weighing against hyperinflation? Well, you bring some good points up. First of all, credit is only shrinking in the private sector. It's ballooning in government sectors around the world. Governments are putting on more and more debt, so total credit is actually expanding. And people are responding in the right way, or the normal way, or an understandable way, in the sense that they're trying to save, they're trying to pay down debts, um, and you know, accumulate uh, some savings because of the tough times that you know the economic activity throughout the world you know, we're seeing at the moment. But the, the most important point you raise is about you know the issue of confidence. And when we talk about money, we only normally talk about the supply of money. You know, M one, M two, M three. You know, the total quantum of money quantity of currency uh, in circulation. But just like any economic good, we also have to talk about the demand for, for money. But you know, very few people actually say that or, or think about it. But when you're approaching hyperinflation, it's not just an increase in the quantity of money. It also can be caused by a decrease in the demand for money. And in fact, that's what we're seeing now. You've got governments around the world selling U.S. government paper um, and diversifying into other assets. You know, China's been buying tangible assets, gold, resources of all sorts. Uh, they've even been buying, you know, equities of, of companies because people recognize that the U.S. government doesn't have the financial capacity, even if it had the willingness. And, you know, there's doubts about that, too. It doesn't have the financial capacity to repay all of this debt that it's taking on. And therefore, you know, government paper, in my mind, is in a huge bubble. You know, people have bought it just simply because the government used to have that financial capacity to repay it, but they no longer do. But the point I'm making is that the demand for the dollar, the demand for government paper causes at the end of when the tipping point reaches a flight from currency. And what happens when you see the flight from currency, the velocity of money increases tremendously, and that adds to the hyperinflationary pressures. And my view is is that, yes, the U.S. government and governments around the world have, have uh, managed to build up this huge debt mountain, mountain for you know, a couple of decades, but this huge debt mountain is going to be reconciled in 2011. And I think it's going to be reconciled by destruction of a lot of currencies or the purchasing power of the currencies through inflation, if not hyperinflation. Would you be shorting government bonds? Um, you know... I, I, I like to stick to simple things. To me, the simple thing is to just continue accumulating gold and silver. And if you're so inclined to take the investment risk, the stocks of companies that produce commodities, mining companies, energy companies, and things of the uh, of the of the sort. Um, yeah, you know, government bonds probably should be shorted. Uh, and I'll leave that up to the hedge funds and professional traders. But as an individual investor, you shouldn't own any government paper. Don't own T-bills. Don't own government bonds. Um, you're, you're going to end up losing a lot of money. You know, be out of them. Be into tangible assets that make sense, um, which means precious metals, you know, farmland, 
uh, timberland that can generate uh, you know cash flow, those types of things, um, or near tangible assets, which would be the equities of commodity producing companies. Um, in your book, I must say, I do like the idea of, t- I don't own it, have any timber investments, but I do like the fact that if timber prices don't meet your requirements, you just don't sell the timber and let the tree carry on growing. That's something that's always appealed to me until the prices do meet your requirements, by which stage you have more timber. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and timber is a crop. It doesn't grow every year. It grows every 20 or 30 years, depending on how long you want the trees to mature. But, you know, the other important thing is that with timber, uh, it's something that's useful. You can make houses from it, just like copper. You can use it in in a variety of different components. You know, all tangible assets like this have have a utility. And it's interesting because, you know, when I travel, uh, I, I see quite a bit in the Middle East and in Asia the point of view that there are a lot of people out there that would rather own a million dollars worth of copper than own a million dollars sitting in a bank account because at the end of the day, they can use the copper in their factory uh, and they're not getting enough interest income on their uh, money uh, on, on dollars to keep money in a bank, not to mention all of the risk associated with it. So, you know, you're seeing money coming out of, ten, out of um, uh, Various national currencies going into tangible assets, and again, that's just another sign that we're, you know, approaching, in my view, hyperinflation. Now, your book, The Collapse of the Dollar and How to Profit from It, um, was one of the first books on this subject that I ever read, and I still regard it as, as well, I, I regard it as the best, and I would recommend anyone that hasn't read it to read it. But in in your towards the end, you have three endings. And uh, there's there's a there's a happy ending and there's a sad ending. And the sad ending is governments clamping down more government control a move to socialism, uh, the impoverishment of the masses as a result of the collapse of the currency. Do you see that happy ending or the sad ending materializing? Sadly, I see the sad ending materializing. I mean, we see it all of the time in terms of what governments are doing. You know, they've taken, you know, private debts and socialized and put them on the backs of taxpayers. Uh, this is the type of thing that, you know, socialist governments do. That's their type of thinking. Uh, and the, what we have to recognize is that wealth is created by the free market. It's created by people's, people interacting with one another in society without, you know, compulsion and, and doing it in a voluntary way. That's what creates wealth. That's how humankind raises its standard of, of living over, over years. Wealth doesn't come from governments. And you know, what governments are doing is by interfering in the market process, they're ultimately impeding economic, economic activity. And as a consequence, you know, everyone suffers as a result. So uh, you know, I'm not optimistic in the near term, but I am optimistic longer term because I think eventually you know, the uh, everyone's going to wake up and recognize that you know, what we've been doing over the past few decades is complete folly and that we're in a bubble and this bubble is popping. And when a bubble pops, we go back normally. You know, mankind normally goes back to things that are prudent uh, and things that have been proven over the test of time. And in this regard, you know, just look at currency as an example. For 40 years, we've been using a currency that's backed by nothing, you know, fiat currency. It circulates only because of government force, legislation of one sort or 
uh, one sort or another. We've forgotten about gold, but gold has been money for thousands of years. Now, the interesting thing is over the past 40 years, we've forgotten about gold and, and ignored its attributes. But those attributes haven't been lost. Uh, they're still there. And as a consequence, I think in the years ahead, those attributes of gold are going to become increasingly um, uh, aware worldwide. That's one reason why the gold price has been rising for a decade. More and more people are understanding that gold has these unique attributes that make it money, has made it money for thousands of years, and is likely to remain money for the foreseeable future. Okay. Well, good stuff, James. Uh, by the way, what you say ties in with Bob Hoy in that he sees a uh, an eventual return to, to using gold as money again because people are just going to be so washed out and sick of debt and uh, all the problems of, of, of that fiat money has caused. They'll return to gold by popular demand. And that's what we're ultimately trying to do with gold money. You know, we're now storing over one and a half billion dollars of gold and silver for our customers. We've got customers in 87 countries worldwide, over 15,000 customers, and they understand that, you know, gold... Money can be do two things. You can you can spend it or you can save it. Right now, a lot of people are saving gold because they recognize the opportunities to spend it when gold becomes overvalued in a few years' time are not that far away. Have you heard of a company called Bitcoin? It's it's a peer-to-peer -peer digital currency. You know, there are a number of um, coin alternative companies that have been out there, just like there have been over the past 10 years. But none of them have really taken off for one reason, that they don't use gold or silver. They're just a, another version of national currencies backed by nothing except, uh, you know, paper. It's, um, a, it's, 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 well, it's not even backed by paper. It's, it's a virtual fiat currency, a private fiat <laughs> currency. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, fiat currencies, uh, the experiment with fiat currencies is coming to a conclusion. You know, it's been a 40-year experiment since 1971 when dollar was taken off the gold standard and other currencies followed. And I think this conclusion, based on all of the monetary problems that we're seeing today, the conclusion is quite clear that fiat currencies don't work. It's just a question of, of the market and most people, and governments in particular, catching up with that reality. Is the gold in Fort Knox? I don't know. You know, I tend to keep an open mind about these things. Um, I have reasons to suspect that not all of it is there. But hopefully with Ron Paul now head of the Domestic Monetary uh, Committee in the United States, he'll press forward to get a complete independent third-party audit to determine whether the gold is really there or not. And if the gold is there, whether it's U.S. gold or whether it's been swapped with the gold for uh, other countries around the world. Imagine if it isn't there. If it's not there, then you, know, you and I can't imagine how high the gold price would, would go. Yeah, I mean, we want to be investing in gold and bunkers. Absolutely. <laughs> James, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Why don't you give out your website as we close? Yes, we're at goldbunny.com. Um, we're a very convenient, economical, and most importantly, safe way to buy and sell and store uh, gold money in uh, store gold and silver, platinum in three different vaults, London, Zurich, or Hong Kong at your choice. Excellent stuff. Well, James Turk, thank you very much, and happy 2011. Thank you, Dominic. Same to you. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. 
To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 